There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to What I Wish I'd Known in association with Speakers for Schools, the youth social mobility charity, which provides inspirational speakers and work experience opportunities. I'm Alice Thompson. And I'm Rachel Sylvester. And in this podcast, we talk to extraordinary people who've lived astonishing lives, overcoming displacement, disease, financial ruin, abandonment and bereavement. And not only have they survived, but thrived. Loss and adversity are part of life, but an imperfect past isn't always an indicator of what's to come. Why is it that often the people with the hardest beginnings in life become the most successful adults? And is there something to learn from these people who perhaps have the strongest sense of what matters most? In this series, we'll be speaking to a collection of remarkable individuals about how they achieved success in the face of adversity and how you too can succeed against the odds. Welcome to What I Wish I'd Known. In this episode, we're talking to the business person and TV personality, Deborah Meaden. Deborah is best known as one of the dragons on the BBC show, Dragon's Den, driving a hard bargain with entrepreneurs seeking investment. She's just written her first children's book, Little Experts, Why Money Matters, and started her first venture as a small child selling flowers outside her home. Self-taught, with a lot of determination, grit, and despite her best efforts not to be stubbornness, Deborah has earned her title as one of Britain's most recognised women in business. But she had quite a tough start in life, didn't she, Alice? What did you think of her early years? Her mother seems to have been the most extraordinarily driven, um, really hard-working. She had these two small children, uh, and she brought them up on her own for quite a long time until she started running a butler list, didn't she? She actually went to live with a surrogate family at one point, but she refuses to see that as a hardship. She just thinks that they loved her and her sister as their own children, so she sees it almost as a positive. Mother was having to work very, very hard. And I saw all that, you know, you see, even as a four, five, six-year-old, I saw all of that. So actually working hard and building your own life was just what you did. I didn't learn it, it was just around me. We didn't actually spend a lot of time with her as children because she was working and we were with this, you know, the family that were looking after us. And I think very sensibly she made a decision to place us somewhere so we weren't being moved around. So uh, again, you know, listen, it's hard when you're four years old and your mother disappears off for the summer. But, but as an adult, I get it. She became very independent at a very early age, which I think she feels has been good for her business career. There's a great story she tells about the fact that she was sent to boarding school, which she really didn't like, but she'd come home and she'd go to the Butlins and she worked there all summer. And she particularly liked the bingo and was obviously a favourite and very good at it. Some of the women that were playing, it was, and it was mainly women, I mean, they were geniuses. They would literally sit and they'd put their ten pences in slots and they'd sit there knitting. And I'd call out the number and they'd go, bang, bang, and they'd pull the shutters over. And they'd be playing eight cards. <laughs> and they'd remember them. I thought, oh, in another, what? I need you. You need to work for me. You know, you need to be in Horikant's department. You're brilliant. She says that one of her colleagues once said that she's a great team player so long as she's the captain. 
that is how she comes across. But she also loves animals. She's got this whole menagerie of animals at her house, so she's quite soft. She's not the scary dragon that she sometimes has come across in the past. Fundamentally, you know, we all feel the same. We dress it up differently, we speak differently, but actually we all have the same motivations. We all like being recognise, we all like being valued. The best things that have ever happened to me in life have just happened. They've just come out of absolutely nowhere. And I think sometimes if you plan life, whether it's your day-to-day life, whether it's your long-term life, if you plan too much, you plan out the Mm. exciting things, Mm. you know, the real opportunities that you were never expecting to happen to you. In this episode of What I Wish I'd Known, Business person Deborah Meaden tells us her story of how the challenges she faced in her early years shaped her as the entrepreneur we know today. We're sitting with Deborah on the top floor of our offices, looking out over London, and she shares with us whether she feels she's actually got to live up to the scary dragon's den stereotype still. So I don't think I've actually changed and I don't think anything about how I should be on Dragon's Den, honestly, um, because it's our money. We are making investments. I ask the questions I would ask um, of anybody seeking investment. Um, and if if they can't answer, and that's actually sometimes fine, but it can get a little bit annoying after two hours of refusing to answer the question. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when, when the, the term scary might come in, because obviously two hours of pitching gets edited down to 10 minutes and I look like a go from not to furious you know in 30 seconds flat so I'd hate to think I, I, I kind of I, I'm not sure I like being called scary I am tough business is tough you have to be tough at times and you have to be honest and I am honest you know I think in the early days the editing could come across as scary they'd obviously pick the moments where I was you know really going for it um, and I think actually the editing's changed I think they've showing more of us more of me more of the rounded person and you know I they show the laughter more they show the chat amongst the dragons more so I think that it might look like I've changed I don't think I have the showing of me has changed Mm -hmm. is there a bit of you that wants to be the sort of knight in shining armor and help people out or do you have to make sure you don't do that I think definitely, and I on Dragon's Den, I think we have a responsibility to um, help. I'm kind of there to help people out, but there has to be something to help, you know. And, and so, so it's not like, oh, you know, this is a rubbish idea. This is somebody who's not really committed to it, uh, but I want to help them out, so I'll give them my money. You know, there has to be a kernel of of something that sparks off. Yes, I want to make that investment, but I do make investments in the den that I possibly wouldn't make out of the den. Because I see somebody who has got potential, they might not become multimillionaires, you know, but but they could make a good life for themselves. And I'm in a privileged enough position to say, well, actually, I want to help them get that life. Mm. Yes. So there is, you know, that might be a bit selfish. There is a there is a satisfaction in being able to help people. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's nice to help them, but it, it also, you know, it makes you feel better as a human being, I think. And you've done very well in business. For you, is business about money or is it about winning the competition or is it actually a bit about survival? So it's easy to say it's not about the money when you've got the money. Um, and certainly in the early days, um, it, of course, it was about the money. I was trying to build a life for myself. So it was absolutely about the money. But it's interesting that actually when I didn't have to work anymore, you know, I could have just decided to stop work, that I 
I still want to carry on working. So so it is definitely for me now more than the money. Uh, it, it's, it is, I think you're right about competition. You know, I'm obviously competitive and the profit, the money is the outcome of the stuff that you do. You know, it's the measure that says you got this really right or you got this badly wrong, you know. So so I, I, I guess the money becomes important in those terms. But also it's it, it's nice to be able to do, it's nice to have money to be able to do things that you want to do with and whether that's, you know, enjoy myself, look after myself, look after my animals, you know, whether it's not, I want to get involved in projects, invest in other businesses, you know, that's actually a lovely place to be. Mm. And we want to take you back to your childhood and explore sort of why you're so driven and so competitive. And you were born in Taunton in Somerset. Can you tell us a bit about your earliest years? Well, I was born in Taunton, but I think I moved away almost immediately. And a total coincidence that I ended up spending a lot of my life there. So I think at the time we were living in Essex. My father left my mother when I was very, very, I mean, I was 18 months old, so I don't remember my father at all. She had a pretty tough time. She had two young children. She had to work very, very hard. Um, and we we lived with a family in, in Essex, lovely family, the Canham's, 9 Belfield Avenue, Essex, who gave us the most wonderful lives, Gail and I, you know, taught us fairness and, you know, love and compassion and wonderful people. But mother was having to work very, very hard. I, and I saw all that, you know, you see, even as a four, five, six-year-old, I saw all of that. So actually working hard and building your own life was just what you did. I didn't learn it. It was just around me. So I think that probably, that probably, do you know what else I I, I think? Um, I'd never recognised uh, inequality, you know, gender inequality, because I had a mother who just built a life. And I didn't, re- I did, I've never thought of myself as a woman in business. You know, I've just thought well, I'm in business. So when I meet that sort of inequality, it's, it, it's a real shock to me. Um, and that must come from an example from my mother. That's fascinating. And she, you once said that she never looked for sympathy, she never looked for help. Do you think you inherited that kind of spirit of independence and determination? I am really independent, yeah. fiercely independent. I think that's why I, I I have to work for myself. You know, I, I kind of rail against being boxed in and told what I need to do. I'm, In fact, I'm probably a little bit blinking awkward, you know, when people do push me in a direction. I'm that person who goes, oh, I'm not going there. And, you know, and I end up going in that direction just in my own way. Um, so, so, yeah, I think my independence certainly um, comes from from that or from somewhere, whether it's part character, you know, and then sort of life builds on that. So I, I am I am fiercely independent. And actually, I've had to learn to ask for help um, because because life is full of helping people. And I love helping people, you know, and I have to get my head wrapped around. Look, Deborah, you enjoy helping other people. Other people probably enjoy helping you, you know, but I've had to talk myself to that place because I, I'm innately, no, I can do this. You know, I can do this thing. So that's something I've had to learn. And was your mother very loving as a mother or was she quite tough? Did she have to be very independent with you as well? Well, I think we felt the love, but she's certainly not cuddly or, um, yeah, she's, you know, she's pretty shut up. She had a tough life. And I think as an adult, you know, I get that. I completely see it. But we didn't actually spend a lot of time with her as children because she was working and we were with this, you know, the family that were looking after us. But we definitely, I was talking to my sister about it, funny enough, quite recently, my older sister, and, and we were saying we felt safe and that's really important to children. You know, we we always felt safe and we felt protected and we mm-hmm. felt loved, you know, but it wasn't, a, it weren't constant cuddles. Mm. And did your mum live with you as well with the other family or were you left with them? No, she was she was working. So she was okay. going wherever wherever there was work. And I think very sensibly she made a decision to 
place us somewhere so we weren't being moved around. So uh, again, you know, listen, it's hard when you're four years old and your mother disappears off for the summer, you know, but, uh, but, but as an adult, I get it, you know, absolutely. It was her only choice, really, if she was going to give us any kind of stability. And how did she meet this family? Did she know them before? Were they family members or I don't, she might have no advertised idea. for them I don't know <laughs> I don't know I mean we were no they were nothing they weren't connected to us at all I mean and they, they were called they were Derek just, and Angela was that oh, right oh yeah the Canons Auntie Angela and Uncle Derek and he was six foot he was must have been six foot well I think he was a giant but you know <laughs> I was four um, but I think he was a giant and he had a shock of white hair and he was a fisherman and we used to go he used to put me on his shoulder and go winkling along Essex along the uh, along the marshes you know it was just we had a, we had a wonderful time and I and I think um, they had a big influence on us and um, they were, they had, it was a two, two bedroom and a box room. They had three of their own girls. We were all sharing rooms and Gail and I both said we never felt that we weren't part of the family. We weren't treated differently. Everything was fair. If we got the Bunty magazine, it would go from the oldest person to the youngest person. It wasn't my children get it first, right. you know, and I think that's really... And where were really, you in the order? Um, I must have been second youngest, I okay. think. Um, so I think that really fed into my sense of fair. You know, I think that yeah. was really... Because, um, you know, listen, everybody has a different version of fair. But why, what I always say to people is I try to be fair. You might not feel it's fair, but I promise you I'm trying, mm. you know. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? I, I was only four, five and six mm. It's my, it was my norm. I didn't even know that isn't what happened. You know, it's just your yeah. life is your life, isn't it? That was it. So I used, I know I used to get upset when my, when mum went, you know, yeah. she'd come and see us. And actually that she stopped coming to see us quite so much because that, you know, to see her for a day and then for her to disappear off. Um, and I, again, I think that was the right thing to do. But um, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, when I look back on it, I look at it with great fondness and think we were so lucky you know, we had just had a, you know, a, they were a lovely family, um, you know, tiny little house, big garden, lots of places to play, you know, learnt how to, I, my love of flowers comes from tiny little plot of land she gave us and we were allowed to plant up and no, it was happy memories. And have you kept in contact with any of them? We did for, for quite a while. Our teenager's dead now. Um, so well, in fact, Uncle Derek died a long time ago. And did they watch you on TV? They died before I was on TV. So they, yeah, they're, 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 they're long gone. And when did you actually ever meet your dad or did you never meet him? I met him when I was 16. And did you seek him out? No, my sister had made contact with him, my older sister. And uh, she bought it. I was staying with a friend and she brought him round to, um, round to see us. I was a bit annoyed actually because I was kind of bounced with a you know, knock on the door, Gail was there standing with this total stranger and saying, this is your father. And I thought, I felt like that's, it should have been my choice to mm. meet my father, you know. So I was, felt a little bit bounced. He was a stranger as far as I was concerned. I was 18 months old, so I didn't, you know, it didn't, it, it, and he hugged me and I can remember thinking, I don't know you. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't, don't, you haven't really got the, it'd be like a total stranger just hugging me. So, uh, yeah, there was, again, no real, no real emotion. There, the, the, you know, uh, uh, Brian, who is my father, um, so, or my father, you know, my well, I call him my father, you know. And he's your mother's third husband. Third husband, yeah. but I, you know, he's my but, father. He, he yeah. you know, he um, he took responsibility. Was he, he was quite young himself. Took responsibility for two quite young girls, and um, you know, and and he's he's the man I grew up with. Yeah. So I do and call he, him dad. They married when you were about seven. Seven. Yeah. yeah. 
And just now, looking back at your biological father, do you have any emotions at all for him? No, I can't actually remember what he looked like, which really? is strange, isn't it? Because so he didn't come back? No, never saw him again. No, that was it. My one and only meet. So, uh, mind you, he didn't get a great reception from me, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, but I don't remember him, and I think that's interesting because I have a very good memory for faces, and I don't remember what my father looks like. Has he kept in touch with your sister? No, he's not alive now. What do you feel about him now? Do you feel any sort of emotion, do you think, or not? Or is it all for your Nothing. stepfather? No. No. It's my, it's for my, mm. it's, and I don't, Your real I, I, I was going to say mm. I flinch when people call him my stepfather because mm. I don't, mm. I don't call him my stepfather. Mm. You know, he is my father. Did you have any sense at all um, when you were young that you you were growing up in this sort of single parent family with before they met, um, before Brian and your mum got together? Or did you not have any sense of stigma about it? I No, I didn't actually. I, and I think, again, um, it was just my norm. Mm. You know, I, I, it's, that, that was life. And, I, and actually, I think I live life like that. You know, I think that actually might be part of my success because I don't, I don't carry things with me. You know, I don't have the, I meet so many people with a big sack of things that have gone wrong in their life, you know, and they're carrying it around in their shoulder. And I think, oh, just dump the sack you know it's, it's yeah. done leave it yeah. um and I'm very much like that and I think I was I was like that as a child you know it doesn't actually you're doing really well interviewing me because I don't you know more about me than I do because <laughs> uh, normally I have to ask my sister you know my older sister Gail do you remember what happened um but uh, yeah I I'm very much you know listen life is what is in front of you so just is that self-protection do you think or is that actually how you succeed I haven't really thought why it is, mm. you know, because it is, you know, it's it's the way I am. But I do think it helps because what it does mean is when I'm hit with barriers or challenges, I, it, there's no, oh, you know, it's just like, okay, we need to deal with this now, you know, mm. and I think that's probably helped in business. Mm. And you were a very good pianist when you were little um, and you actually got a scholarship to the Trinity College of Music. Why did you not take that route? Uh, because I, because... <laughs> because it became somebody else's thing. I used to <laughs> love playing the piano. And then then I became this youngest child ever to go to Trinity College of mm. Music. And I, and within three years, I just thought, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this. I don't, I, this is, you're making me do things I don't want to do. I don't want to do it. And I promise you now it's lovely because people say, oh, go on. You must really be good at the piano. I'm genuinely rubbish. I, I like, I'm like, you know, all the wrong notes in all the wrong notes. Not even the right notes in the wrong order. The wrong notes in the wrong order. So you've never so, really played a game? No, and I, funnily enough, my, my parents gave me, they had a grand piano and they gave it to me. And it's now sitting in my office and I played it once and I hasn't got happy it doesn't do thing doesn't do anything for me so you're quite stubborn if somebody is mm, trying I to am. get you to do something you don't want to do i think i am yeah i think i am yeah. I'm not, i don't say that with because i don't really like stubbornness mm. i was I gonna say you see it trait. as a strength or weakness. i don't see it as a strength mm. uh, occasionally it's mm. a strength because i think um if people get to know that about you no it, it's quite good in business to have a line you know, that is it. Mm. Um, so that's quite helpful. But I think as a character trait, I don't admire stubbornness. I think it can it can make you make the wrong decisions for the wrong or for the wrong reasons. And I, you know, that's not good. So I, I have to check myself. You know, I have to think, hold on, am I, am I railing against this 
through my stubbornness or my railing against this because it feels wrong. Mm. But also you've, you felt you had to have a passion for something and that you'd lost that passion because you have been forced into it. Taken away. Mm. It was somebody else's passion now. It was, yeah. yeah. It's a shame because I think we're all born. Everybody's born with a talent, whatever it is, you know, and that probably was a natural talent for me. So it's a bit of a shame. Mm. Um, but I genuinely... <laughs> I don't feel anything for it now. You know, I thought, oh, I'll, sit, I'll sit there. I, that's a romantic thing. Oh, I'll sit there. And, and I thought, oh, no, I should. I don't <laughs> and then you went to boarding school, didn't you? How Very did that young. happen? When I was seven, which is young. Can you remember the first day there? I don't remember the first day. I do remember every single time I went back. I was I was that tearful child, you know, really. Because, again, why would, why would I like boarding school? Yeah. It's got way too many rules. You know, I have to go to bed at this. I can't, I can't you know. Um, so I, I, I really didn't enjoy boarding school. Um, and I think seven is young. Mm-hmm. But again, when I look back, it was for stability. It wasn't a very posh boarding school, but it was, it was for stability. You know, my mother, my mother, my, in fact, my parents had just got married. They were working really hard to build our lives. Um, and they were moving around and doing stuff. And, and to give us stability, they put us into a boarding school. You think about that logically when you're older, when you're younger, I just thought, I don't want to do that. You know, I just want to go to day school. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to go to school, really. So when you went to boarding school, how did your parents ever manage to afford that? Because your mum had been running around doing, you know, 24 jobs. I'm just chuffed to bits that my parents met each other and found each other in this big wide world because when they met... Um, I think they complemented each other and they were already starting to build themselves more success. But they weren't wealthy, but they understood that they needed to spend the time at work. You know, they needed to commit that time to their businesses if they were going to be, you know, if they're going to build a good life for us. So they were, I think they were prepared. I mean, I've never had the conversation with them, but I think they were prepared to sacrifice quite a We weren't living in a big house. I think they were just prepared to put that cash in. It wasn't, I mean, it was the whole school in Wincanton. It doesn't exist anymore. It wasn't a posh boarding school, but it was a boarding school, you know, and it would have cost them money. Um, but I, I, I will ask them that question. And were you bullied? No. No. No, I've got a really bad feeling. I don't think I'm a bully, mm. but I've got a really bad feeling that there was a time when I didn't stop bullying. I, so I, I would have seen it. Yeah. And I, I've got this real thing in life. If you see something that you're not happy with, you should do something about it. Mm. And uh, and I and I, def- I definitely did as I got older. You know, by, by, by the time I was 14 or 15, I was that person. If somebody was being bullied, I'd be over there saying, oh, we cut that out. But I do think there was a time when I... I'm not happy that I didn't, you know, I kind of joined in with the girls instead of saying, Mm. cut that out, that's Mm. bad. Was that self-preservation really, just so that you could get on with everyone? Possibly. I think we learn what we care about, don't we? We kind of do things when we're younger and then you look back, you're either happy with yourself or you're not, you know, and I I, I don't know, but I'm sure there's an element of self-preservation. Of course there is. When you go to boarding school, you have to learn you have to learn how to how to be, mm. you know, how to mix with people and how to have friends. And so, yeah, I'm sure there's an element of it. But I do also think we do learn. We experiment things with our personality, I think, when you're young. Mm. And, and, and you find out through that, is that me? Am I comfortable with that or am I not happy with that, you know? But luckily I learned that I wasn't happy with bullying. Can't stand it. And what impact do you think? being miserable had on you at school do you think it did it change your character I don't think it changed my character again Gail and I because Gail hit Gail oh Gail got expelled Gail is your sister Gail's my older sister Mm. she got expelled and from that moment on it was like 
I didn't realise that was an option. Mm. That is brilliant. That, I'm going for the same. <laughs> I am going for the same. You must have been really thing. envious of her, weren't you? Oh, my goodness. She got out of school. So I work really, really hard. And, and <laughs> well, you're then, just really naughty. Yeah, well, just, yeah, and and overtly. I mean, it wasn't just, I used to be, I was always naughty, but I was, I was, I avoided getting caught. But, you know, now I'm like, come on, here I am. <laughs> um, and my parents actually took me out of, uh, it was Godolphin, and my parents took me out of school because uh, they could see this, uh, this was going in. So what did you do? Going, well, what were the I just did things? every just stupid uh, awkward you know outdoor shoes in pinny inside out going off school grounds just so it wasn't smoking just, or drinking <laughs> no no girl got expelled for smoking smoking really really expelled <laughs> for smoking really but you were incredibly close weren't you and has that helped you think having someone that you go through all those experiences with so Gail and we weren't close at that point. Well, we were close. Of course, we were close. We absolutely hated each other. Um, we fought like cats and dogs. Um, yeah. We, so you wouldn't think we were close. Uh, but of course, if somebody said something against Gail or somebody said something against me, Gail would be the first one to champion. Uh, now she's my best friend, which is lovely. You know, she, it's it's lovely to have. Uh, if I met her and she wasn't my sister she would be my closest mm. friend, you know, and that's a very lovely thing to find that in your family because there's another layer. You know, I know Gail has got my absolute best interest at mm. heart and she will tell me if I'm out of order, she's the one who will say to me, oh, back in your box, you know, mm. you that's out of order. Um, and I will I'll, I, and I will know it's coming from the right place. You know, it, 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 she hasn't got her own agenda. Mm. This is just, that's not right, Deborah. You're listening to What I Wish I'd Known in association with Speakers for Schools with Rachel Sylvester and me, Alice Thompson. There'll be more from us just after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to What I Wish I'd Known, in association with Speakers for Schools, with Rachel Sylvester and me, Alice Thompson, and our guest on this episode, Deborah Meaden. You spent your holidays as a child at Butlins, didn't you, mm. quite a lot, where your mother had a concession. Mm. What was that like? And did it also give you a, an ability to sort of move between worlds and different social classes? Oh, that is, yeah, if that's such a, re- a good point. I mean, I think, I think my childhood ha- has been really helpful in life because, you know, there I was at Godolphin, um, during school time and then I go back to Butlins you know so I had this massive range of people that I would meet from all stratas of society um and you know I feel really lucky because I don't 
meeting people doesn't bother me. I love meeting people and I don't care what they do and who they are. Mm. You know, everybody has an interesting story somewhere in their lives, you know. So so, so I think that's been really, I, I feel I've lived a classless life if that's, you know, if, if, if we can still use the terms classless. Mm. I, I would no idea. I, I'd like to think when people met me, they wouldn't know where to put me. You know, I'd, and yes. I would like that. I, you know, I would think, yeah. And Butlins or, must have been a really good training ground oh, in some ways because you're seeing what people like. They're on holiday. You can see what they enjoy. I mean, you must have been constantly looking and watching. Did you also work there or did you? Oh, well, I did. So I used to work when I was, because um, mum was working. So um, in the school holidays, I used to work giving change. I used to sit in the cash box and hand out pennies in the amusement arcade. Um, so, and actually, we I didn't have a Christmas holiday until I was 38 wow. we worked every single Christmas because it was we were in the business of of hospitality and even when we had the holiday parks they were open at Christmas and New Year so I didn't have actually a Christmas off because we used to work because every we gave everybody else the time off for Christmas so family would have to work and you were bingo I was a bingo a very good bingo caller yeah. as well might I say I've got that to fall back on if ever it all goes wrong do you ever play now <laughs> play no <laughs> no <laughs> no I've never actually played do you know these some of the women that were playing and it was and it was mainly women were playing bingo I mean they were geniuses they would literally sit and they'd put their ten pences in, in slot eight bingo cards and they'd sit there knitting and I'd call out the number they'd go bang bang and they'd pull the shutters over and they'd be playing eight cards <laughs> and they'd remember them all. I thought oh in another what I need you you need to work for me you know you need to be in Horikant's department you're brilliant so uh, no it was uh, uh, I feel really really privileged to have seen those sides of life really and brilliant. in a way do you think that is a secret of for your business success because you understand how different people think you understand all those worlds do you think that helps I think so mm. um, I think so actually fundamentally you know we all feel the same we dress it up differently we speak differently but actually we all have the same motivations we all like being recognized we all like being valued um you know we all like to think when we're buying something we all like to think that the genuinely whoever you're buying from or if you're taking a holiday with them they genuinely care about your holiday you know so so um and I think we're all susceptible to genuineness I think you know people have got a really innate sense of of you know what's real and what's just being said mm. and I think that's really taught me they were brilliant teachers the, the people who are, who are playing bingo mm. because they don't hold back you know I mean they <laughs> will tell you if, they, if they're not happy and they're there you know it's talk about customer research you know I mean they literally stood in front of you and they'll tell you so it was it was absolutely it was brilliant and do you think that's where you got your view, which I think very much comes across as you don't need people to like you, but to respect you and to see you as a fair person? Yeah. Do you think that comes from things like bingo, that you have to be efficient and organised? Um, well, <laughs> uh, some people might laugh about So I like people around me to organise me and be... <laughs> Um, I'm not I am I like being organized but I won't put the time in and that sounds very arrogant but I'm not you know I'm not that person who sits down and, and plans my life at all my life just happened honestly has just happened um, I mean it hasn't just happened because I've been open to opportunity and, and I've taken them but I didn't ever sit at any point and think this is what my life is going to look like because the best things that have ever happened to me in life have just happened they've just come out of absolutely nowhere and I think sometimes if you plan life whether it's your day-to-day -day life whether it's your long-term life if you plan too much you plan out 
the mm. exciting things, mm. you know, the real opportunities that you were never expecting to happen to you. What was the first entrepreneurial thing you did, do you think? Can you remember the first thing you ever sold? Oh, yes. Flowers, flowers in the garden. Yeah, that was when I was seven. Um, so, so you I, went and picked the flowers and then sold them in the street? They were terrible. They were forsythia. It's not really a flower, no. is it? <laughs> what did your mum say? Well, she didn't know, but I had, I had a little formica tabletop. And, uh, and I went to put it outside by the gate. And, and I put this forsythia in, which really doesn't last as a flower very well, but anyway. Um, and, but, and I realised all the cars were driving past before they saw it. So I switched it over to the neighbour's gate, who was absolutely <laughs> livid. Location, location, location. Yeah. Who was livid and took me back in to see my mother. And, and, and I could see my mother. I remember it now because she was, your daughter's been... Um, and I, the look of pride on my mother's face. <laughs> You bad girl, Deborah. But she was like, oh, that's my girl. You know, so, yeah, that, that's, that's the first thing I did. And that was just, that was just, that was unprompted. You know, that's when you kind of, that's when I realized I was always destined to to have my own business. Because that, somebody didn't say, why don't you go and sell flowers? Yeah. You know, that was just, a, oh, I've got a table. I've got some flowers. And the road's there, you know. Did you sell anything at all? I did, actually. Yes, I did. And did yeah. you then get that kick and that adrenaline? Oh, oh I loved it. Absolutely loved it, yeah. But I also wonder whether a sort of slightly precarious childhood drives you into something like being an entrepreneur, because partly for this financial stability, but also to sort of show the world that you can do it and to create that stability for yourself. Yes, create stability for yourself. Although I haven't, had ch I haven't got children, and I think that... It allows you to allow life to be a little more precarious. Yeah. Do you so, think you take more risks because of that? I think you do. Mm -hmm. I, and I think quite rightly, if you and I say this to people who want to start their own businesses, it's not just about the timing of the business, it's the timing in your life. There are times mm -hmm. when you shouldn't take risks with other people's lives. You know, mm -hmm. once you've got children, you've got to think about those things. So I didn't have that. So precarious doesn't bother me, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that's a strength for, for, for an entrepreneur because I can take more risks you know I'm not a gambler I don't like gambling but I will take I will take those risks but then I'm not affecting other people you mm. know so I think it does make a difference I think it definitely makes do you a think difference. it's also because you're all very optimistic and you're not a particularly anxious person because I can't imagine you really worrying the whole time about every risk you take I, I I'm not a worrier at all um I, I do so it's it's strange because I will I'm a re I am a researcher and I'm a thinker and I, so I do everything I can to think, is this the right thing to do? You think that's, that isn't through being anxious. That's through I've got a finite amount of my time. I want to be spending it in the right way. But I don't, once I'm doing things, of course I've had moments where you think, oh, no, no, no. I mean, we all have, you know, that's life, isn't it? We all have those moments. But I don't carry them with me. And I'm not a worry. I, I'm a, oh, got to sort this, you know, and, and get on and sort it. But I don't mind precarious. I quite like it. <laughs> I be, like different You're used change. to it. You're used yeah. to it. And your childhood must have made you incredibly adaptable as well. well You're used to that uncertainty. Uh, and, and thinking, well, actually, what's the worst that happened? Yeah. You know, that, I, think, I think that's the thing. You know, mm. it's, you, I just think, well, actually... You know, it, it it was a pretty, it was an odd childhood, but I it was a really happy childhood, you know. Mm. So what's the worst that can happen through all these strange things going on? And having an example of a mother who just got on with it. You know, do you think that's personality in the end or do you think it is circumstance? Do you think you would just have been as you were in any 
kind of circumstance with any childhood or do you think it's specific? Uh, is it both? I think it mm. might be both. I think uh, Gail, my older sister, is very, she, she and I are not at all alike, but in her approach to business, and she's in business, is very similar. And we had very similar backgrounds. So you could think, well, actually, mm. that definitely played into it because we're both very similar. But I do think personality probably something is in our DNA. My mother must be a resilient woman. Mm. You know, so and her mother was probably a resilient woman. Well, she was. Brownie Connie was a was a resilient woman. So, so I there must be some you know something in the DNA. I do think I and I this is this isn't present in me. I do see a lot of people who um, I feel are in business to prove to prove themselves, um, and that's what drives them to want more and more money and more. You know, that definitely isn't me. I, you know, I built a really lovely life. Thank you, you know, mm. and, and, and I genuinely think how much is enough, <laughs> you know, yeah. how many more billions do you need? <laughs> um, uh, so, so um, I, that, I don't fall into that camp at all. I just want to be able to do what I want to do in life, yeah. you know, and I'm not going to buy the boats if I don't want, I don't want a boat, you know, I, I don't need a boat. I don't need the fast cars. I don't, I, I, I'm really not interested in all So what is that. your luxury actually? What's your greatest? Home and, home and the um, animals. You know, I've got a lot of rescue animals around. <laughs> How many have you got now? I don't know. Knew you'd ask me that. <laughs> so what are they? Are they donkeys, chickens? No, we've got uh, sheep. Oh, we've got a fantastic sheep called 49 who I actually had to tell <laughs> off for chasing the dogs the other day. It was 49, <laughs> leave the dogs alone. Yeah, so we've got 49 and her two youngsters. And uh, well, actually, that's really interesting watching them because 49, uh, she's called 49 because she was an end of life sheep, the sheep that we rescued. I had to pay for her actually, but rescued um, with, with her two lambs. Um, and she is in feisty as anything so she chases the dog she sees the dog she seeks them out and thinks right you're getting out of my field brilliant and then we've got the others which are terrified you know they see the dogs and they run away which isn't great because then the dogs think oh hey um and that just says it all to me that's in the dna and her young you know 49's children are already lambs <laughs> they're not children they're <laughs> lambs but 49's lambs are already emulating her actions you know they're already going for the dogs you know and <laughs> so that's it's you and really Gail is. with your mom exactly <laughs> but it is interesting mm. you know to, to, to actually watch that behavior in animals and think well why are we different yeah and have you got anything else you've got oh dogs, sorry sheep sheep. Um, sheep I've got uh four horses um uh we've got the sheep we haven't got pigs anymore the last ones died um you don't eat any of them no we did eat Paul bought I'm vegan now so we definitely don't eat any of them. Uh, but Paul and definitely did, not 49. Definitely not. But she's living her life. She's living her life out with us. No, but um, so Paul, about 15, a long time ago now, said, if we eat meat, I'd like to raise our own meat because we'll give it a fantastic life and more important, it'll have a compassionate end. Um, and I did remember saying to him, look, I get the theory that you should, you know, if you eat meat, you probably ought to know where it came from. Um but I can't guarantee that the day it is got to go off that I don't strap myself to the back of its body and say, you know, over my dead body is that sheep going to... Anyway, we did. did it once. And both of us, the night those animals went away, it was... I, I just... I, I said, I can't do this, Paul. So we don't anymore. Now, they just live with us for the rest of their lives, the lucky <laughs> things. Lots of birds. Um, so rescue hens. We take expats. Um, I think that's... Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it at the moment. So in a way, it's like dragon's den. It is a sort of nurturing sense. It's not, 
part of it, you seem to really like the risk and you enjoy that. And part of it is nurturing and bringing people on or animals on. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's two sides of your personality? There's a very tough, very risk-taking, um, almost adrenaline-seeking side. And then this much more sort of caring. Yeah, I think, um, so I, th- I actually like success. I like seeing... Yeah, I like seeing people do well. You know, I really like seeing people do well. The joy I get out of getting involved with a baby business, you know, and the day they don't need me, you know, that is just like, uh, it's just brilliant, you know, when I'm now getting on their nerves, you know, I love that because I'm like, right, we're off, you know, that is just brilliant. So, so, and that, you know, it's partly a selfish thing. I like being around creative, energetic, want to achieve, things, people, you know, mm. I love that. So it's partly selfish. Um, but there must be a nurturing part of me because the, um, you know, the animal, I wouldn't be surrounded by so many rescue animals. Um, but, you know, listen, I can give them a decent life. I don't like, I tell you what I don't like. I, don't, I can't, it really upsets me and not much, not much will bring me to tears. I can't stand cruelty. And uh, I, and I think um, if you think we're taking expats, we're taking racehorses that have been chucked out at the end of their racing careers. You know, these are animals that that have that I think deserve a better life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can give it to them, and that's um, you know, that's that's why I do it. Is it true you don't have a credit card because you don't want to get into debt? Got a charge card. Charge card. So, okay. no, so which is different? Because yeah, people don't people forget about charge cards. They talk about them. They talk about credit cards, but of course, charge cards you have to pay off every month. It's because I, my credit card I did get into debt with when I was first started, when I first set up my first business. So since then, I've never ever. I've only got one. It's I've amazing. got a bunch of credit cards. I've got one charge card. Which you pay off every month. Which I pay off every month. Well, you have to with you a charge to, card. Yeah. yeah, have to. And your first business importing ceramics actually went wrong and failed, didn't it? Do you think that was an important learning experience? So everyone says we've got to learn from failure. Do you agree with that? Or is that slightly Panglossian? I hate to say it. I think we learn better from failure than we do through getting things right. Mm-hmm. I think we don't like it as human, but I certainly didn't like it. Um, and it, all, what it did was made me think, okay, what led to that? What mm. actually went wrong there? You know, and don't do it again. Mm. You know, it's as simple as that. So um, we, I, I think human beings don't like failure. I, I think we sus- can sustain. I mean, I don't carry it around with me, but I think you can sustain that feeling of failure longer than you can sustain the feeling of elation when you get something right. I think elation can be very momentary. You know, it can be, oh, fantastic. And then it's gone. Failure, people can carry for years, you know. So so I think it, you know, I, that's what I, that's why I think we learn from it. Mm. And you joined the family holiday business and then you took it over. How did that, that was feel? Interesting. <laughs> oh, that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a quite a spiky moment, I need to say. It was quite spiky. Um, so I bought it from my parents. I did a management buyout from my parents, and we both had our own separate advisors. Um, it's a so bit like succession. It was. I have to say, there was one moment I could see our advisors when we were literally eyeball to eyeball over the table, and I could see it. Well, funnily enough, one of our advisors is now married to my sister. He now tells the tale. There was one particular moment where he said, I just remember everybody just looking down at their papers and thinking, oh, no, what's going to happen now? Um, so it's quite feisty. But we'd always said business is business. You know, you look after the business, the business looks after us. 
and that set us in good stead. I'm not saying there weren't moments when I feel like I'm your daughter. Do I really have to pay more for it than anybody else? <laughs> um, so there weren't moments like that. Uh, but generally, I think, you know, listen, we're a very close family who get on really well. So we must have navigated our way through that. And did you feel you were sort of almost forcing your mother out or were you rescuing the business? No, no, it was it was a very successful business. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd be, of course it was. I'd been working with it for mm. 10 years, making it. Successful. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no I, not at all. They'd, you know, they they had reached the time in their lives where they were wanted to do. I, I, I felt like I'd given them the opportunity to do all of those things that they couldn't do before. So, you know, um, whether they saw it that way or not, I don't know. But that's how I looked at mm. it. Um, and sure enough, they did. I mean, they have used their retirement uh, beyond beyond my wildest imagination you know they really have had a cracking time and good good on them and one of your finance directors once said deborah's a great team player as long as she's a captain (laughs) is that true do you think oh i have a bad feeling it is although i've had to learn because um when i'm invested in businesses of course they're not my businesses i'm an investor and I'm usually a minority investor. Yeah, so you can't so be in cho- total not charge. In charge. And mm. also, I shouldn't be because I can't spend enough time. You know, I can't be the captain of that particular ship because, mm. I, you know, I can't spend enough time to actually to, to guide it fully. So, um, so I really have had to learn. I think that was something um, I had to work at. You know, and I think we were talking just now about me just feeling like. Just, just let me do it. You know, <laughs> so many times I look at businesses and think, just do that. You know, but well, you but, did it once at an airport, didn't you? And the airport oh, announcements stopped working, and you just did, took over I and reorganised everything. I did, much to my husband's absolute horror. Nothing was happening. You know, this queue, there's a crowd of people forming, and I thought, and I'd heard. And I thought, and I was right, that um, that the queue needed to divide into this this queue to go to that, you know, side and this queue to go to that side. Nobody's doing anything. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to organise it. It was fine until somebody actually came up to me and complained. Because they thought you <laughs> weren't the airline. They actually said, no, this is a disgrace. So we'd like to tell the airline because I'm actually a customer. <laughs> so are you very bossy or are you very perfectionist? Or both? I hope I'm not bossy. Um, I hope I find a way of joining with people when I'm doing things. Um, I suspect I can be, you know, I I think we all can. Listen, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly by no means perfect. So I'm sure I get my moments when I bark um, something. But I have learned in life that you can't, you can't make people, you can't make people enjoy what they're doing. You can't make people like you. You can't make make people get passionate about their work. You have to, or you can't tell them to. Mm. What you can do is find a way to encourage them to those spaces so that's definitely growing up you know I used to I used to think like come on smile enjoy yourself you know you can't <laughs> do that can you so uh, so I've definitely learned I've, I've had to find ways of of trying to bring that out and do you think there is a difference between the way men and women interact or and work I do. in offices and in businesses I do and 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 I think and that's fine you know there's a way actually there's a difference in the way everybody works in offices, you know, men aren't men, women aren't women. But I think that there are definitely traits that I would say I see more. I see an easier collaboration amongst women generally. And that's, you know, I've also seen the absolute opposite, you know, so so you can't say, as I say, women are women and men are men. Um, but I, I think that I think, you know, women find it easier to seek help. You know, they've, 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 
actually, I say that. I'm not sure I agree with myself now because I think I think one confident women find it easy to seek help. But I have seen instances when I've seen sort of I'll be sitting in a board meeting and I'll see a bit of fidgeting going on from a, from a woman and, and, and I'll have to say, you know, say their name and say, is there something you wanted to say, you know, and, 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 and they're a little bit worried about what they're going to say or they wanted something clarifying. Um, so actually, I'm not sure. I'm th- am I having an argument with myself? At this <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty sure I am, aren't I? Yeah, I thought I was. <laughs> so Harriet Harman once said to us that she thought you'd never have had Lehman sisters, unlike Lehman brothers, because women are less risk-taking in the city even. Do you think that's true, typically? Obviously, it's a, a stereotype. So I think first risk is probably pretty equal between men and women. So that's, you know, first decision risk. I think the danger is, and this is a you know, this is a biological fact that as things go bad, um, men tend to, their adrenaline tends to get up and they start taking more risks, you know, and I think that's a different behavior. I think that um, at that stage, women get, become a little bit more, hold on a minute, Mm. hold on a minute, this isn't working, Mm. you know, let's try something different. And I think that is, again, these are all generalizations, Mm. but, you know, I I think, yeah, I do think there's a difference in behavior. And I think that's how we do end up in these places where, you know, we think how on earth did that business get to that stage where it, you know, it owes a fortune, it's not underpinned by anything. How did that happen? Mm. You know, and that's too many getting involved in this strange, you know, adrenaline fueled just chuck more money at it chuck more money at it Mm. and then do you think often women are bought in when things have already gone wrong because quite a lot of men don't want to take responsibility or pressure that you get cases in business and in politics when women are sort of forced to step up and you know it's going to be very hard for them anyway I've never thought of it um I'm thinking of it right now um I guess you could think about Theresa May Mm. I guess she had a you know like her or lover she had a very very tough job to take um do I see that? I, I tell you what I do think. I think when businesses have got themselves into um, branding difficulties or perception difficulties, women can sometimes be bought in because they're seen as a more acceptable face and a softer face. So I mm. do think that definitely happens. Um, yeah. And why did you decide to write a children's book, which is it's about finance, isn't it? it is. I ask myself the very same question. Well, yeah. I tell you, pe- people, I get asked all the time about children. I'm like, why are you asking me? I haven't even got children. You mm. know? Um, but of course, I'm surrounded by them. You know, I know. I know. And, uh, and I kind of innately, I should get on quite well with children. You know, I, 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 I don't know how to talk to them. And I think that helps. You know, I just yes, talk to them. Yes, you don't patronise them. don't patronise them. And at the same time, um, Farshall were, were producing this little expert series. So I was thinking to myself, there's a book in there. Mm. I wasn't thinking I'd write mm. it. It was just, you know, somebody really needs to write a book for children about money because it's not on the school curriculum. I mean, it's madness. Um, and, and I just want, I want, humans to have a healthy relationship with money you know just a healthy happy relationship also they um, might then enjoy maths because you know quite often children hate all the maths in school and the... i hated maths i wasn't even very good at it and I then that might the put set. you off business when yeah, actually yeah. you may really enjoy the business side yeah. of it you just don't absolutely. like doing equations absolutely and and far sure anyway they were thinking about these um this this uh, little expert series and they asked me if i would write the book on business and i thought well what what, what well, actually, why not? You know, I, I I get business. 
I love kids. You know, it's, let's let's see what happens. Mm. I actually found it. I I I loved writing it, and you know what I realised? Oh boy, do we overcomplicate stuff, because I had to boil it down. Take yes. these really complex stuff and boil it down. You know, I just thought, oh, that was, that was a real joy, you know, to get rid of all of those ridiculous layers that we all put on through everyday life. And I thoroughly enjoyed writing it. So what would you change about the education system to make it more relevant for business? Well, for a start, it needs to look forward and not that far, you know, because the, AI, the world is changing so fast and we are still teaching people based on a historic you know, on, on, the, on a historic method, instead mm. of saying, look, in thir- in, by 2030, mm. this is what these kids need to know, mm. you know, and, and, uh, and, and a much more holistic approach, not just about the subjects. What do we need? We need good judgment. We need resi- because things change so fast now. There's no point being an expert on a topic because it's got AI's going to be dealing with that in a minute. So I need really good judgment. I need resilience. I need to be able to pick myself up when things, you know, when things are down. I need to be able to assess risk. I need to be able to negotiate my way out of difficult situations. Where is that on the school agenda? You know, mm. how does how does mm. that happen? So a much more holistic approach. Um, a really good friend of mine spends a lot of time in Holland and he said something to me and I thought, oh, what that is such a good idea. He said, basically, the Dutch education system measures one thing, happiness. Because a happy child learns. A happy child engages. A happy human being engages in life. You know, they, they want to make a difference. They want to contribute to society. Mm. And, and they measure that happiness both with the children and talking to the parents as well. You know, so matching. So how often do you go out with your parents? You know, what do you do in your, in your how much time do you spend with your parents in your um, downtime? And, and then speaking to the parents, how much, you know. I, I, and I just thought wonderful we're just too far off that I mean I just cannot imagine us ever changing our system to something like that so my children definitely primary school like doing their dragon's den oh almost best and and do you think they they should do more of that that there is that sense that you know they they really enjoy it they know what they're talking about they've all got something to sell um it's about getting together in teams isn't it but without it being a sort of team sport or forced on them in any way I absolutely love that you say that but I also think um, that's a that, that's a part of the reason they enjoy it is they've seen it on television as well. Mm-hmm. So that so there's kind of this uh, an understanding of what they're doing that they haven't been taught taught they've watched they've you know they so they get it and they're part of this thing this dragon's den thing that you know they a they see on telly there's loads of other people doing it as well so it feels very very collaborative and I actually think teaching does need to get a little bit more three dimensional you know it needs to work in 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 their everyday life you know mm. maybe they see it on television maybe they see it through their phones you know and it's taken back into the classrooms it's a much more relevant way of teaching people now instead of you know sitting there in your at your desk and learning by rote do you think it's too much about exams at the moment it is i think it is too much about exams um but we're just not set up to do it in any other way, are we? I mean, how do we? Do, we are not set up to actually be able to assess an individual mm. properly as they go through their school curriculum. I, do, I you know, I, I'm not sure how. How I, I think in the absence of of a system that works, mm. <laughs> exams are probably the best thing. Mm. You know, and you used to be called Swampy um, on Dragon's Den <laughs> because you were the one that was so green. Do you think that, and that chimes very much with children, do you think that now we're, we're paying enough attention to it or are we going backwards suddenly on the environment? Um, um, 
I think we're losing our way a little bit in this country. So we have been leaders, you know, and it's something we could be really proud of. Um, but I, I'm not sure where we're going. You know, I, I and, and this is really dear to me. So I am really watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really don't understand the sense of direction. You know, are we for it? Are we against it? Are we up for renewables? Are we trying to, are we going to hit our targets? Do we care about nature? So I'm really confused, you know, and I'm really onto this. Although I'm watching what we're doing and what the government's saying and, and I really don't know. Are we really committed to this? Are we really going to try and hit our targets? Are we going for renewables? I don't know. It changes on a daily basis. That's a very difficult landscape to try and build an industry. And there is massive opportunity. There's commercial opportunity. There's an opportunity to make your children's lives better um, and, and engage much more with the public so they feel positive about it instead of everybody walking around thinking, I don't want ULEZ to be, you know, I don't want the ULEZ scheme to happen. Um, you know, So it feels like a real wasted opportunity. I know it's something I care deeply about. And I know it's also something that I have to tell people to make me get off my soapbox because I get a little bit tub thumpy <laughs> about it but but I, I genuinely just get, the, get those moments where I think don't you don't, can't you see it mm. <laughs> it's just so obvious and it's the opportunity that's what I don't understand we should be feeling so good about this you know this is something that we can really embrace and, and do well I'm doing it aren't I <laughs> who's going to tell me to get off my soapbox <laughs> and stop tub thumping <laughs> but some people would say in a cost of living crisis we can't afford people can't afford environmental policies and Rishi Sunak talks about not having a kind of hair shirt approach that's going to drive up prices what would you say to that well I think it's very valid it's very difficult when people are very worried about the cost of living crisis but we're not all experiencing the same thing and there should be uh, in fact the company that I was with this morning I absolutely love because they're producing something at a very very low margin at the moment to to generate um, the market Mm -hmm. so that, you know, the more of their product gets made, the cheaper it gets, more people can buy it. So I say if you can support the environmental movement, if you can't support the environmental movement, that's where the government needs to step in. You know, it doesn't have to be a a blanket move. It just needs to say, look, obviously you're struggling. You're struggling with your fuel bills. Decouple the energy market and you will have a lot cheaper fuel bills you know it's there are there are things that you can do without without people feeling it at all you know or just beginning to feel the benefits once people start feeling actually this is a bit better then they might feel more inclined to engage and be prepared to change their habits a bit you know but at the moment the message all seems to be it's going to cost you more and we're going to it's going to be a bit more hassle and it's it's yeah but it doesn't have to does it Mm -hmm. you know and you've got cancer skin cancer yeah uh, a few years ago did that change your perception of life in any way or of, of the sort of fragility of life or or even with green issues, that sense that we've got to do something about the plant, we've got to look after the next generation? Yeah, so so not really the skin cancer. You know, I got on it really quickly. It's gone. Um, I, you know, I still just have to watch out because I've got fair skin. The, the green issue really does. I, I When I went to college in Brighton 40, well, whatever, years ago, um, my thesis was on, was on climate change. And... Um, at that point, it was something that was going to happen way beyond our lifetime. It's just something that we need to be careful for the future generations. We're, we've got to be careful for this generation. We've got to be careful for our lives. You know, we are. it's happening. It, it's happening right now. And, and that has given me a real sense of it's actually been a bit of a gift. The trouble is I get asked to get involved in so many things, you know, that, that everyone, oh, that's really important. That's really important. That's really important. And I was just doing too much. 
and the climate, you know, the whole this whole issue about climate change came has come along. And I thought, you know what, we don't saw that. The rest of it is for the birds. It doesn't. It's it's of no relevance whatsoever. We will not have a planet. So so let's protect our you know let's let's protect our life support system. I mean, how mad that I would even have to say that. Let's protect our life support system. I mean. Not rocket science, is it? Mm. What's fascinating is you're very self-sufficient and sort of no regrets about yourself, but in a way you're you, you're worried or caring about the planet, and, and quite there's quite a mismatch between how you feel about yourself and how you your worries about the world. Well, I, I think that's probably because I could do so. I can I feel in control of what I do. I'm responsible for what I do, you know. And I get it right and I get it wrong. It's my fault. The planet. This is a big issue, and it's not. It's not one I can fix. You know, it's 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 a huge. It's a big enough issue for humanity to fix. You know, I think we can do it. Human beings are amazing, and when we put our mind to something, we can sort it. That isn't the question. The question is, have we got the will? You know, and will we do it in time? That's that's. I think my sense of urgency. That's this has gone from saying this is going to be hundred. We've got ages to do this. We haven't. We've got to get it sorted now. You know, I don't have kids. I'm probably not going to see the worst of these consequences, but I can't bear the thought of the, you know, the I, the devastation that, that that your kids are going to, you know, oh, how depressing. <laughs> and yet you're a very optimistic person. So. I, I am, I am. Are I those am. your only regrets? Do you have no personal regrets at all? I have any personal regrets. I've made loads of mistakes. I've got loads of things wrong. I've probably upset people. I've done, I've done things to people I probably wouldn't, you know. But I do apologize, you know, if I get something wrong, I'm a great believer in if if I I call it I get this feeling across the back of my neck and I feel that wasn't right was it I feel the need to go back you know and I because and it's selfish because I need to get rid of that feeling across the back of my neck I need to feel you know I feel need to feel that I've done the right thing so I will literally go back to people and say I'm sorry that wasn't right I I didn't I I I, I didn't mean it you know I did I shouldn't have said it Growing up, what do you wish you'd known when you were growing up in Brightlingsea um, with your mum working all hours? What do you wish you'd known then that you know now? I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about the environmental issues again. Um, I wish I'd understood earlier um, because I would have done things differently. I would have invested in my businesses would have been different. I would have, you know, I would have already, I hope, have have been doing things for the right reason and the right way. Um I guess it's kind of good that I didn't know because in those early days I was really just trying to make money and that's a terrible thing to say and that's exactly where I I understand a lot of businesses are caught you know they're kind of yeah but we're not a business if we don't make money so I get you know I'm very pragmatic about it I completely understand that there can be a tension between doing the right thing you know or doing something in the right way Um, I completely get it but we don't have time anymore I had time Mm. we don't have time You've been listening to What I Wish I'd Known in association with Speakers for Schools, the youth social mobility charity that provides inspirational talks and work experience opportunities with Rachel Sylvester and me, Alice Thompson, and our guest on this episode, Deborah Meaden. The series producer is Anya Pierce. If you enjoyed what you heard, why not pick up a copy of our book, What I Wish I'd Known When I Was Young? Or you can follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. And of course, you can listen back to all our previous episodes on the Free Times Radio app or download them from wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.